I forgot that I said I was going to introduce Johnny and I already hand my mic back. So. <laughs> um, but just real quickly, uh, Johnny is, um, as many of you know, he did uh, an internship here back, what, 2019 through 2020. And then he moved on to Seattle where he uh, did, continued a church planning apprenticeship there and then planted the church. Johnny's someone that uh, many of us, we, we know well from his time here and deeply care about him and we've supported him in our missions giving over the last couple of years. And so uh, as Johnny and probably most of you know, the, the church plant actually closed just a little bit ago, but we still wanted to invite Johnny here uh, just to tell us uh, a little bit about what is going on with him and Lauren and then preach for us today. So we're really glad to have you here today and I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. Thanks, John. Uh, no worries on giving the mic back and everything. You're still probably, it's like evening for you in Kenya time. So. <laughs> We'll, we'll show you grace. Yeah. So uh, my name is Johnny. And uh, a little bit ago, I used to be one of the pastors here at Jordan Valley Church and uh, not anymore. But I, I, I totally remember really fondly uh, the, the time here serving the church. A lot of new faces. Uh, but I'm, I'm really encouraged by what, what God is doing here. It's, there's a unique uh, work, I, I think, that God is doing here uh, among you. Um, and uh, that's, that, it's, it's really cool to come back and get a get a taste and, uh, and, and to see what, what is happening. So that, that's, su- that's super cool. I also just want to thank you um, as, as a church for giving some of that missions, giving to us uh, and, and all of your prayers over, over the years. Um, we, we needed that. It was incredibly helpful. Um, ministry was done in Seattle that would not have otherwise been done if you hadn't committed to giving. Uh, so thank you. Uh, thank you. And yeah, it, the, it, it is kind of a long story as to why the church plant shut down. Um, uh, I'd, I'd be happy to share details with you. Um, if you're wondering how we're doing, that's a hard question to answer right now. We're in a time of transition, still trying to figure out kind of what's next. And we'll, we'll, we'll be in that, in, in that place for a while. Uh, so we'd appreciate your prayers uh, moving forward. Um, continue to pray for the gospel in Seattle. We need a lot of churches uh, we need a lot of new churches there um, because there are not there, there there are not a lot and and the one and many of the churches that are there uh, similarly to uh, kind of the the theme of what's going on in other parts of the world in maybe a unique way a lot of the churches that are there aren't preaching the the, the that simple gospel about the grace uh, of God um, and so we, we we need revival and reformation uh, there as well uh, so continue to pray for the the churches and the and, and then the work that Christ is doing there, um, but for us, uh, it's it's time to direct our attention towards God's word and to hear from Scripture. So please um, open with me to John chapter eleven. Uh, I, I believe the words will be printed up on the screen, uh, or you can follow along in a copy of God's word that you have in front of you. John chapter 11, verses 1 to 16 is our scripture passage for this morning. I'm going to read it and then pray, and then we'll get into it. Um, And that's John chapter 11, verses 1 to 16. Uh, So listen carefully. This is the word of God. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who had poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. The disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Amen. Let's end it there and, uh, and, and pray to God as we get into this. Uh, our God, we, uh, we are here because we desire to learn more about you and we desire to follow Jesus. And your word tells us that following Jesus is like walking in the daytime and being far from Jesus is like walking around at nighttime, stumbling and falling. So we pray that you would send us your spirit so that we would walk in the daytime, as it were, so that we would see clearly, so that we would see Christ, so that we would understand and know and trust him because of your grace by which you gave him in the first place. Give us faith, give us belief, give us your spirit that we would understand uh, and, and, and know the gospel and, and, and be equipped to follow you in the way that you would have us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, as has already been talked about this morning, the vision for Jordan Valley Church, make sure not to knock the mic microphone over, the vision for Jordan, Jordan Valley Church's missions giving uh, is, is this, uh, that you want to invest in long-term relationships with indigenous reformed ministers where there is not a strong gospel presence. And though it may not seem like it, this passage that we read is kind of all about that in some key ways. It's all about what it's like to be a servant of Christ where there is not a strong gospel presence. Let me make, a, a, at first, a, a couple initial observations about serving Jesus where there's not a strong gospel presence. Uh, first of all, it's risky and difficult to do that. It is risky and difficult. So specifically for this situation, in chapter 10, so if you went back to the last chapter and kind of summarized it, it would look like this. Jesus and the disciples are in Jerusalem for a special feast, the Feast of Dedication. The, the, the city is, is full, and, and, he, uh, and, and, and he knows that his enemies, the, the people that at this point in his ministry hate him because of what he's teaching and doing, that they're there. And they find him in the temple, and they start threatening and accusing him and trying to bring out of him some, something that they can use to incriminate him even more. And, and, and a heated conversation ensues and culminates in his opponent's mind in him uh, saying something that deserves death. They think he's a blasphemer. They think he deserves death. 
And they want to do it right then and there, but he escapes out of the city and, and, and flees away for a while with his disciples. So it's, it's risky and difficult for him to go back to the place where he knows he needs to go eventually. Secondly, to make matters worse, it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible to serve Jesus. At least it feels that way. Specifically because the, the work that he does to us looks and seems impossible. So in, in this passage, the work that Jesus is going to do involves raising a dead man back to life. Both in, in that context and in our context, that's impossible. And yet Jesus is poised, even unfazed by the difficulty and impossibility of the work to do it. And the reason I love this passage, specifically this little window that ends at a strange place, we get a window into the mind of Jesus as he's in the middle of a work that's in process, and we also get a look into what it's like to be a follower of Jesus, uh, following him into his work when it's in the middle of the process. And that really is what it's like to try and plant a church in Seattle. Uh, that, that, that's what it's like for many of the missionaries and mission works that you support at this church. That's what it's like sometimes, probably, to get up out of bed as a Christian in Utah trying to figure out how to be a Christian here. Jesus calls you to follow him into an unfinished work of restoration in life. Jesus calls you to follow him into an unfinished work where he promises that the result will be restoration in life. And so there's three things from this passage we need to keep in mind. One is the glory of God. Two is the love of God. And three is our response. The glory of God, the love of God, and our response. So first of all, the glory of God. So imagine the agony of the news that Jesus and the disciples receive in, in the first few verses of our passage. Uh, what a hard decision they have to make. Uh, Lazarus, their good friend, is sick. They know that Jesus is capable of, of doing something amazing to help him, but they're far away, and going back to that area involves that risk and that danger that, that, that they know is there. How does Jesus respond? In verse 4, he says, this illness is not going to lead to death. Now, we hear that. And we think maybe about the, the kinds of situations we hear words like that. And we, we think that that sounds like the professional opinion of an experienced physician, a doctor, right? Kind of like, well, you know, I've seen this before and his chances are pretty good. I'm, you know, I'm just doing the calculus and he, he probably has about 80% chance of survival. That's pretty good. So we, we probably don't need to go right now. It's not worth the risk. We kind of hear it that way maybe, but that's not the perspective that Jesus speaks from. Because he follows it up immediately with, it's for the glory of God. You've never heard a doctor talk like this. Th th this person is sick because it's for the glory of God, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, this category of God's glory, maybe, it, I don't know if that's new language for you, but it's how the Bible talks about uh, the unmistakable, overwhelming display of God's beauty, his goodness, his truth, and it leads to worship and reverence 
as well as a, a, ideally a response of faith on the part of us who, who, who see God's glory. And the greatest revelation of God's glory in all the world is Jesus himself, God in the flesh come to be among us. And so glory is, is, and glory specifically centered in the revelation of Jesus, uh, who Jesus is. This is the great goal behind everything. Everything happens the way it does, in the order that it does, at the time that it does, to reveal Jesus in some way. And, and, and again, specifically, revealing God's glory is the great, unfinished, yet heading towards completion work that Jesus came and, and was about in his life. And he's still doing that right now, even when we can't see how it gets there. So for Jesus to say that this illness is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it, he's saying, through this illness, I am going to put God's greatness, his power, his beauty, his goodness, his love on display like the world has never seen. And his work in the world today uh, through this church and other churches in your life is to take hopeless situations kind of like this and turn it to glory. To display the goodness and the love and the power of God. And this work is not completed yet. In any given situation, it's somewhere between 1% and 99% complete. It's not completed yet. And right now that means that some of the places in the world where it's hardest to be a Christian, as well as some of the places in your life that feels the most far from God, those are the places that are about to be infused with a blinding light that screams of God's wonder and power and majesty. And it will be a revelation that leads you to worship and others as well. So we're kind of stuck in this in-between, aren't we? And there's a byproduct to that that I want to put my finger on. It's that risk and that danger. Jesus happens to be totally comfortable with it, we don't, because it's scary. You see, there's so much in this world, our hopes, our dreams, our possessions, health and wealth and, and stuff like that, that we would not dare put in harm's way for the sake of almost anything, even God's kingdom, if we were honest. But Jesus is not like that. Case in point, at the end of verse 4, you know, Jesus just had, just had to be emphatic. He, he said, through it. The, the, the son may be glorified through it, through the illness. We would have liked him to say, in spite of it. We would have liked him to, to mean that, you know, it's too bad that he got sick. This was not part of the plan, but there's, it, there's a way it's going to work out in the end. But no, he says, through it. It's kind of saying, God's sovereign, and he ordained that this would happen. And this is actually a part of the master plan to lead to glory. Sickness, illness, death, how is that, how is that so? You know, we typically read the agony of the Lazarus situation and the looming grief that's coming, like a, a, like, like, like a map that, that, where all roads are leading to death and darkness, and we want to totally avoid that. But Jesus is different. He's kind of like this compass needle where the, the, the needle pointing north is always pointing at the glory of God. And he, he alone in this situation is able to see right now how that compass needle that's 
pointing to the glory of God is also pointing through sickness and death in this situation. And that's the point. See, right from the beginning, we need to be able to see and, and, and to say to God, God, I, I believe that this is true. I believe that you are working towards your glory in all things. But at the same time, it's, it's probably helpful to admit as well that, Lord, we, we just don't see it clearly right now and we need your help. And that leads me to the second point this morning, the love of God. The love of God. Because Jesus decides to stay, to delay, to risk the death of and prolong the suffering of his friend by not immediately going to help him out of love? Really? Well, yeah. If you look at verse 5, it exists in our text to remind us and to underscore for us that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This text and elsewhere shows that they were loyal followers of Jesus. Uh, they were probably a decently wealthy family. They may, might have even funded his ministry. And, and, and he was a close family friend. They really, really cared for him, and it was mutual. And this is an important detail because the glory of God perspective that I just talked about can often be conceptualized like God is this hardened army general who doesn't really care for the, his, his people. They're like pawns in a game and he's making these big global decisions for his victory and his big glory and he's turning a blind eye to the pain that it causes. He's just saying, you know, come along for the ride because, you know, you serve me and you, you gotta know who's boss. But it's not an option to interpret Jesus' actions that way because he loved them. What does that mean? Uh, relationally, emotionally, it hurt him to see Lazarus' death and his friend's grief. The love of God and the glory of God go together, but it's often hard to see that. So for example, after verse five comes verse six, where we're told again, so, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, and this just doesn't make any sense, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So a little bit of information on that. The probable place where Jesus and his disciples were right now is in a region that was called Batanea, about 100 miles north of Bethany, um, which is where Lazarus and his sisters were. And that's a four days journey, a long four days walk of a journey. So the timeline here must have been something like this. Lazarus gets sick. And if you remember, uh, Mary and Martha send information to Jesus. They send the message there. The messenger takes four days to get there. So it's a four-day journey. Lazarus has been sick for four days by the time Jesus and the disciples hear that Lazarus is sick. That's four days of a pretty rough illness. And then Jesus decides to delay another two days. So for those two agonizing days of Lazarus's life, they end up being the last two agonizing days of Lazarus's life where he's suffering and dying, Jesus is waiting, waiting, and then another day. And then he waits longer, and he waits more another day, and then Lazarus dies. But it's the same Jesus who waits for him to die, who says in verse 11, our friend, the archaic way to translate that from the Greek is our beloved Lazarus has fallen asleep. 
but I'm going to go wake him up. And of course, we know there's confusion that ensues. Jesus means Lazarus is dead. I'm going to go raise him up. And you cannot separate determined love from the sovereign purpose of glory in Jesus here. This statement is a clear and definitive statement of his purpose and action to declare war against sin and death and to show off God's glory in a new, amazing way. And the reason he's waited until now, waited until death to set in, is so that the people that will see it will see more clearly God's glory in Jesus and believe in him and have eternal life. And that's, that's love. That's a deep love that we often fail to get to. And through it all, he still longs for his friend, the beloved Lazarus, to live again and for grief to be turned to joy. That's personalized love. And we need to dwell in that kind of logic that can see glory and love existing together in the same Jesus because there's nothing else like it in the world. We need to believe that that's who Christ is because we are just like the disciples. We're just like Mary and Martha and, and, and just like Lazarus. In, in, in our life, we have to make sense of sin and, and disappointment and death before we experience full resurrection. The work really is still in process. You know, Jesus, he does deeply, fully, unwaveringly love you and your family and even, even your possessions, your well-being, your mental health. Yet some of you, all of you to a degree, will or have already had to give up some of those things, sacrifice some of those things for the sake of the glory of God. And somehow, whether you're at one or 99%, whether you can see it or not, right now, it's going to turn out for your good as well. And, you know, I'm not talking about a, a silver lining, kind of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps because there's, uh, you know, there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and if you hold on, you're going to be stronger for it. No, I'm talking about the situations in your life that break you down and make you weaker. And those are the things that, that God uses to turn around for his glory and for your good. Because he loves you, he can't do anything else. He will not let those do anything else. Uh, maybe another analogy. Right now, life might feel like a game of poker. And Jesus is on your team, which is really good because he, can, uh, he knows the future and he can like, see through other people's cards and stuff. But it also means that he makes some pretty incomprehensible decisions in the moment. So like you get, you get handed your cards and you take a look and you're like, okay, we're, we're going to fold, Jesus. This does not look good. And, and he says, actually, where are your chips? Right? Okay, all in. And we're thinking, whoa, did, did, you, did you see? There's no way this ends well. And Jesus calmly, patiently, persistently says, you know what? Trust me. We're going all in. <laughs> and the rest of the cards haven't been dealt yet. Uh, you can't see where this goes. It's not your place to know. And trust is really uncomfortable. Right now, you want resolution. You want the season of waiting to be over. You want death and suffering to be gone. But to that equation, 
by faith, we can add two things. The glory of God, knowing that there is a, a greater plan beyond your understanding and imagining that will lead to the goodness of of, of the world and the spread of the gospel, but also the love of God, knowing that you can really trust the Lord. You can really trust him. And he has you here in this place because he loves you, because, because where you are right now will help you see more glory later. And for right now, even if all we have is the presence of Jesus who's sitting beside us saying, trust me, we're going all in, that's the presence of the one who's loved us and he lived for us and he died for us and he will lead us and protect us still. And that leads us to a decision point, a point of necessary response, which is our third point this morning, our response. Our response. So, a professional opinion Jesus would not have gone after those two days. Uh, because Lazarus died. And so professional opinion Jesus would have said, well, I thought this wouldn't lead to death, but in an 80% situation, there's always a one in five chance that it goes the other way, and that's just kind of too bad. So there's no point in going now. But we don't work for professional opinion Jesus, do we? We work for the Lord Jesus, which means that Lazarus dies, the chances of his survival go from 80 to zero, and that is what signals Jesus to decide to finally go into risky, dangerous zone to help out Lazarus. And of course, the disciples just don't know what to do with this information. But he still asks them to go with him. So let me tell you about something about being a reformed minister where there is not a strong gospel presence. Uh, see, on the one hand, you need to plan. You, you kind of do need to play the percentages a bit. You need to think about, okay, where is this likely going to lead? And let's try to be wise and be good stewards of the resources God has given us. Planning is good. The numbers do really matter. Why? Because I'm not Jesus and neither are you. And and, and, and it's an exercise of faith and patience to, to figure all those things out. But on the other hand, our best ministry planning needs to begin with recognizing that our best plan is unreliable in and of itself. Because there's always a 20 or 30 or 40% chance that our plans will blow up anyways. And so the heartbeat of every good ministry plan is to begin with saying, Lord, we're going to plan this, but you need to lead us. And, 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 and every step of the way, we need to do what you want us to do. We need to trust your word and listen to your plan. So please make it plain to us what to do. Because that's what Jesus is all about. He doesn't play the percentages. He doesn't have to, and he doesn't. He alone sees the way, which will be the ideal way, that the glory of God and the love of God will be magnified in each situation. Specifically through this current season in your life, through this current season in your church. And he loves you enough to lead you there and to lead you through that. And so we always have to be ready for those moments when, just like with the disciples here, the waiting and the waiting and the waiting, 
and the planning and the weighing numbers and consulting the experts and waiting some more actually turns into this sort of definitive moment where Jesus says, I'm going and I want you to come with me. It's time to go now. So in verse 15 in our text, uh, Jesus says, let us go to him. Yes, we've been waiting. And you didn't understand why we were waiting. But now we're going. And most of the rest of the chapter is this tension-filled drama as Jesus makes his way to Bethany and he encounters the grieving sisters as they're struggling in their grief. And eventually, after spending some time with them, grieving with them, he goes to the tomb and calls life from death itself. And that's what he's poised to do here. Although at the point of our text, no one can see that except Jesus. But that's what he's poised to do. That's his M.O. because that's what he came to do in the first place. Not just to raise Lazarus from the dead, but through his death and resurrection to raise us and all creation from the dead. You know, we've been approaching this text so far, looking at it kind of from the perspective of uh, if, if we were the disciples, how would we be struggling through this? But maybe, maybe it's been hard to, to relate to that because you feel kind of far from Jesus or you don't know what it's like to follow Jesus. And, and in, in a way, we're all there. We've all been there because before we are the disciples struggling along close to Jesus, but yet staying behind him, we're Lazarus, dying a slow, agonizing death in a world that's full of death all around us. Scripture says that without God's grace, we are dead to God. We're filled with sin that we can't atone for by ourselves. We've been sinned against by oppressors and victimizers, and there's no hope, and there's no light, and there's, there's nothing that we can grasp onto around us. We're, we're entombed. We're, we're, we're dead needing rescue. And, and may, maybe some of you need to hear that this morning. Maybe that kind of rings true for, for you because you're far away from God. You're far away from Christ. Maybe you haven't noticed the glory of Jesus. You've never been aware of the love of God. But here's what Christ did for people like you and people like me. And this, by the way, is before he ever asked us to follow him or do something hard without understanding it. Before he did that, before he commands us to do something, he does something for us. When we were all dead in our sins and trespasses, he saw us in the same kind of compassion that said, okay, now I'm going to go. I'm going to go and rescue those people. And he came and he drew near to us and he experienced the same world of death and darkness and sin that we struggle through. He was faced with the same temptations, yet without sin. He suffered the worst injustice in all of the world, being shamed and, 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 and tortured and put to death as an innocent man. And he did it all in order to do away with the wrath of God that lay on us because of sin and to purchase resurrection and rescue from all of our enemies and from all of our suffering. And it's that Jesus that now calls you to hear his voice, to stop, to listen, to turn, and to follow 
him. And so right now, yes, his work is still in process. The world is not perfect yet, but the closest thing to eternal life that we have now, a real taste of it is to listen and to follow and to know Jesus. And because he's gracious and merciful and so good and patient, that's available to all of us by faith this morning. (laughs) If you would hear and follow him and trust him, you can know him. In other words, the gospel is that through Jesus, God displayed the highest showing of his glory by sending his son and the deepest promise of his love by the decisive action of saving us. And therefore, Christ now, he he, he continues as victorious Lord uh, to live a life of decisive action as he moves in and throughout the world, uh, resurrecting and renewing And he's always calling his people, his church, to come with him. And so, because of all that is true, what we've been talking about leads to this. That point of response. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when Jesus asks you to come with him? Well, I want to leave you with this. I want you to be like Thomas. In verse 16. Now, um, Thomas in Christian tradition is typically thought of as doubting Thomas because there's that episode after Jesus rises again where Thomas is kind of doubtful of of the resurrection. And, you know, sure, that happened. But that's also unfair, at least an incomplete picture of Thomas um, because we have this. You know, so don't don't think of Thomas as doubting Thomas. At least think of him as doubting but also at other times daring or something like that. Because here, Thomas is a great paradigm for being a disciple. What does he teach us? He, I think he teaches us this, that your primary calling in life is not to know what's going on. In other words, it's not to know what God is up to. Instead, it's to listen and do what Jesus tells you to do. It's not for you to know what God is doing most of the time, but it's for us to do what Jesus tells us to do. So, look at verse 16. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And yes, it would have been better if he had listened a little bit more closely and known that Jesus is not leading them to their death. But of all the things that he and the other disciples got wrong, they got one thing incredibly right. That when Jesus, the one who loves them and cares for them and faithfully leads them, says, I'm going and you're coming with me, Thomas is like, okay, let's go. It's time to go. Jesus says we're going. Let's go. You see, your job as a church is is not to use some complicated calculus to determine which missionaries will be most successful over time and those are the ones that you need to support. Some of that planning is good and necessary, but the the main thing is to hear Jesus' voice and follow him as you make those decisions. Your job as a believer is not to figure out everything that Jesus is doing in your life and feel like you need to know that before you can make a decision. Your job is to hear his voice and to follow him and do what he says through scripture and the word and a Christian uh, community and discipleship. And even when you have no idea how that's going to work out, 
that's okay. It's not your job. Because Jesus will always say with a persistent, firm, yet patient, loving voice, that's okay. Stick with me. I'll lead you. You know, for, for me and, and, and my family, in our current situation, uh, speaking of planning and trying to figure things out, you know, I, I had mapped out the next 20 years of my life and ministry and thought it was going to go a certain direction and we'd be in a certain place doing a certain thing for the Lord, a really good thing. But God had other plans. I have no idea how it's going to lead to his glory right now. I have no idea. I, I, I really don't know what he's doing. But 20 years from now, I will have 20 years of perspective with which to look back on the past 20 years, and I'll probably have some pretty good ideas of what he was up to and what he was doing. But I'm still not going to look back on this particular season and judge success or failure based on how well I was doing at making sense of those things, of figuring out what God was up to. Instead, I'm going to judge success based on this. Did I follow Christ? Did we follow Jesus? Even thinking back over the church planting journey that we've been on, when Jesus called us to go, did we follow? In many ways, it's that simple. That's what defines true success. True success is holding your own wisdom and understanding with a grain of salt and leaning hard on the direction of the Spirit and the Word of Christ. True success is taking risks to love and worship Jesus and to love your neighbors. Uh, And for you in this place, where your neighbors here need to know God and need to hear that gospel. True success is JVC missionally resourcing, encouraging, and praying for uh, missionaries across the world that God is leading you to to resource and serve. And so for for one more time, let me say, if you haven't made uh, a pledge for missional giving, strongly consider that. Maybe even, can I say, don't overthink it. Don't put your, your, your family in financial danger, but could it be that God is calling you? That Christ is calling you to help serve the church in that way? Yeah, I, I can speak from experience, having received the generous donations from this and other churches that, that missional works really do need the, the financial support, the prayers of the church. And Christ uses that from you to support kingdom advancement in other places. And lastly, let me just say that one of the fruits, one of the blessings of living a lifestyle of true success, not overthinking it, but trusting and following Jesus, is that after you've walked with him long enough, even if it's been through deep, dark valleys, he'll surprise you with a vista of glory. And you'll get to see the raising of the dead, the liberating of the captives, the glory and the love of God put on display. And that is what life is really all about. Let's pray. Uh, Our God who, uh, who who loves us, God who who loved us and, and gave your son for us. Father, we pray that you would give us true spiritual wisdom, that we would be able to do even hard things, sacrificial things, difficult things, that 
that we would be like Thomas. And even for all the things that we don't fully understand, if we get some things wrong, Lord, may we get this right. May we listen to and follow you into the places where you want us to go for your glory and our good. I pray that you would lead this congregation, uh, lead this church into the light of following Christ. Uh, May you be with them and lead them and love them and take care of them as they go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.